And all God's people said, Amen. What an incredible time of worship as we celebrate the resurrection of Christ today. It's wonderful to see you as we gather together. And uh, wow, to have, to have an empty tomb to preach in front of is a pretty special thing this morning. I love the empty tomb behind me and the reminder that Jesus is alive. Of course, this is our set from uh, Bow the Knee. We're coming off an incredible weekend last weekend of Bow the Knee, and I just want to say how thankful I am for all of you who participated in that, who worked so hard to bring that to our community, especially thankful for Brother Brian Schindler and for Leslie England, who led uh, our choir and the drama team. And if you are thankful for their work and the work of everybody who put that together, give the Lord a hand clap of praise. <clears throat> Well, this morning as I come before you to open up the Word, I do so bringing you good news. How many of you by raise of hands like good news? Let me see your hand if you like good news. All right, most of us like good news. Let me see your hand if you like to hear good news better than bad news. Let me see your, your hands. All right, well, you're in the right place this morning for some good news because uh, we have the greatest story to tell, and that is that God made us, that God loves us, and that even though our sin separates us from God, God came to take care of that through Jesus Christ. Amen. And we celebrate as we gather today the love of our Savior who went to a cross to lay down His life for our sins, who was uh, placed in the grave and who rose on the third day. And that message shook the first century. It changed lives then. It's still changing lives today. It has changed my life, and I'm excited to share with you this morning what the Bible says about the resurrection of Christ. Specifically, we're going to celebrate the good news of some of the evidence that we have this morning that the message that I preach and that I bring to you is a message that can be believed. It's a message that you can stake your life upon. Everything that I share with you from God's Word this morning, it really happened. And it impacted uh, thousands upon thousands and has impacted millions of lives since the Lord rose from the dead. And this morning... I'm just asking you to be open to the message of the gospel. I recognize that some of you here this morning maybe have never trusted in Christ as your Lord and Savior. You don't have a personal relationship with the Lord, but you want to be open to that. And I want to ask you, if you would, would you bow your head just for a moment as we prepare ourselves to be open to the message this morning? And with heads bowed and eyes closed, can I just lead, lead you in a prayer this morning that you would say to the Lord, with heads bowed and eyes closed. Dear God, if you're out there, I want to know you. Jesus, if you're alive, would you visit my heart this morning? God, if you really change lives, would you change mine this morning? God, if there's a heaven, I really want to go. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen. If you have a Bible with you this morning, turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians. 
1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verses 1 through 8, if you have a Bible with you. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verses 1 through 8 this morning. This is a letter written to the church at Corinth. And in chapter 15, verses 1 through 8, the Apostle Paul is reminding the church at Corinth, a, a troubled church, a struggling church, a church saved out of a pagan culture and many pagan practices they were still trying to break free from and repent. And the Apostle Paul, whose life was changed by Jesus, who saw Jesus alive from the dead, encourages them in the gospel, encourages them in the power of the resurrection. Beginning verse 1, as a reminder, listen to what he says. He says, now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you which you have received and on which you've taken your stand. By this gospel you're saved if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you. Otherwise, you've believed in vain. A couple of verses there on the perseverance of the saints. Those that are truly saved persevere to the end. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas or Peter and then to the twelve. And after that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time. Most of whom are still living though some have fallen asleep or have passed away. Then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles. And last of all he appeared to me as to one abnormally born. And we're going to stop there this morning. And the first thing that I want us to celebrate in regards to the good news that we have, I want us to celebrate the good news this morning that Jesus died for our sins. Good news. Jesus died for our sins. Because you see, church, before we go to the empty tomb, before we peek in and see, indeed, He is not here, He is risen, it's important for us to go to Friday. It's important for us to understand why He came in the first place. And the Bible teaches that He came to lay down His life for our sins. If you look with me in verse 3, of your Bible. The Apostle Paul says he's passing on something of first importance, something that is more important than anything else they'll ever hear, and that is that Christ died for our sins. If you look at that word for in verse 3 of 1 Corinthians, it is a very small word, only three letters, but it's a big word in the sense of what it means. It stands for Purpose. Somebody say purpose. The word for is telling us why Jesus came. His mission, his purpose was to lay down his life for our sins. Theologians call this the vicarious atonement of Christ. In other words, he stood in our place and he died for us. Us. That's good news this morning, especially since there's only two ways you can get to heaven. Uh, one is you can live a perfect life. Raise of hands, how many of you have given up on that option, huh? Yeah. The second way is you can be forgiven. You see, God cannot allow sin into heaven. So you've either got to be perfect 
or you've got to be forgiven. In fact, that first option is really not an option, especially since Romans 3 and 23 says this, We have all sinned and we fall short of the glory of God. You see, we're messed up people. We're imperfect people. We all make mistakes. Each and every day of our lives, we make mistakes. We mess up. We sin. We disobey God. We reject His commands, His word. Um, As to how messed up we are and how imperfect we are, there was a great illustration of that that I received from one of our Southern Baptist devotionals not too long ago from Mature Living. It was out of a passion play, sort of like our bow the knee, and a big mistake that was made by one of the kids who was playing an angel in the play. Uh, Five-year-old Patrick was given this one line, uh, he is not here, he is risen. And he got up and uh, in front of all those people, he froze and he stood there with just that one line and he stood in front of the microphone and he could not remember that one line. And so with all these eyes on him, his instructor is whispering from the side, he is not here. It's not here. He is risen. And he thinks he's got it, but he didn't. With great confidence, he grabbed the microphone and he said, He is not here. He's in prison. Well, how many of you know that can mess the play up a little bit, right? Because Jesus was not in prison when he rose from the dead. Amen, somebody? And so, of course, that had to be corrected and stopped the momentum of the play just a bit. Amen? But a reminder that we've all messed up. We, 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 we we're flawed, right? And beyond that, we are, listen, I'm going to say this, we are sinners, We sin. We break the laws of God. And you can't get in. I don't care if you're a pretty good boy or a pretty good girl. You will not get into heaven apart from the forgiveness of the Lord Jesus Christ. How many sins does it take to miss out on heaven unforgiven? Somebody say, only one. How many of my sins can be forgiven through the Lord Jesus Christ? Somebody say, every single one of them. Jesus came for my sin and for yours. And Paul reminds them of that in verse 3, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Look at verse 4 in your Bible if you would, because there's more good news to celebrate here this morning. This morning we celebrate that he died for our sins according to the scriptures, verse 4, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. We see here in this passage that both uh, Jesus dying for our sins and then Jesus rising from the dead were prophesied in scripture. They're according to the scriptures. Uh, Psalms chapter 16 verses 8 through 10. We ought to have this on the screen for you by, uh, as well. Hundreds of years before Jesus was born. Psalms chapter 16 and verses 8 through 10. I want you to look at this prophecy of the resurrection of Christ. This is David speaking personally. And then he speaks of the Holy One. David's not the Holy One. He's speaking of the Messiah. Do we have that? Let's show that here on the screen. Psalms chapter 16, 8 through 10. David says, I have set the Lord continually before me. 
Because he's at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will dwell securely. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to undergo decay. My friends, hundreds, 800 years before Christ was born, the Old Testament Scriptures prophesied of His resurrection. One of the things that Jesus spoke as the Holy One is that He had the power and He had the authority to rise from the dead. John chapter 10, 17 and 18, Jesus said that He had both the authority and the power to lay down his life and then rise again from the dead. He had to come and defeat death because death had authority over us. Romans 5, 12 and 17 bears this out. Look again on the screen if you would. Romans chapter 5 and verses 12 and 17. The Bible says that when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death. So death spread to, what's it say? Everyone. For everyone sinned. Verse 17 goes on to say, For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. And so when Jesus came, Jesus had both the power and the authority to lay down his life and to take it up again. Just because we have authority over something doesn't always mean we have power. Sometimes the connection between power and influence and authority can be a very curious thing. There's a story told about a very angry uh, state, a uh, very arrogant uh, state highway worker who came to inspect some land. Uh, they were going to be building a road through a farm. And so this state highway worker stopped in at a farm. He came with great authority and he said to this old farmer, he said, I'm going to be walking through your land we're going to build a road through here, and I need to inspect your property. I need to inspect your farm. The old farmer said, okay, but I wouldn't go into that field if I were you. State highway worker, he got very arrogant and buffed back at him, and he said, I have the authority of the state government to go wherever I want, and I can go in this field if I want to. In fact, he pulled out his card, and he said, uh, sir, I want you to take a look at my card. My card tells me I can go anywhere I want to go, and I'm going to go into this field. And so this uh, state worker started walking across that, uh, that field, and all of a sudden the farmer turns to work, and he hears this state worker hollering out. And uh, how many of you know what might be happening at this point in time, huh? The farmer's prize bull is right after that state worker and chasing him all over that field. Well, this guy's screaming out, that bull's madder than a nest of hornets. He's gaining on this guy at every step. The farmer had a big smile on his face, and he yelled out, and he said, Hey, just show the bull your card. <laughs> just show the bull your card, huh? How many of you know that just because you have the authority doesn't mean you have the power? Somebody say amen this morning. But when Jesus came, when he stepped into the field of this earth, he had both the authority and he had the power to lay down his life and then to take it up again. And as we gather this morning with this empty tomb behind me, let me share with you that part of the Easter message is this. It is that soldiers and seals and stones can never stop the plan of God. God marches on.
His plan will be accomplished. And we believe that because the tomb is empty and Jesus Christ is alive. I got some more good news for you. Not only did Jesus lay down his life for our sins, not only did he die for our sins, not only did Jesus rise from the dead, leaving the tomb empty, but we also see that Jesus appeared to many, many of his followers. Look with me, if you would, in verses 5 through 8. Verses 5 through 8, we see a list here. Paul lists those that actually saw Jesus alive with their own eyes. Verses 5 through 8, we find out that he appeared to Peter. And then he appeared to the 12. Now that first time, we, we know that Thomas was missing. We know also at that time that Judas was missing. And so it's interesting, what we believe is that early band of disciples were just nicknamed the 12. That was just their name. It's kind of like sports fans. Uh, you may know uh, that in the Big Ten Conference that used to have 10 teams, uh, there are no longer 10 teams in the Big Ten Conference. There are 14 teams in the Big Ten Conference, but they still call it the Big Ten Conference. Well, we believe that that early band of disciples were called or nicknamed the 12. And so Jesus appears to the 12. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have passed away. And the significance of that is that they're still living. In other words, they were still eyewitness, uh, gave eyewitness testimony that Jesus was alive and that he had appeared to them. In other words, you can go ask them. There are still people living today that saw Jesus alive with their own eyes. That's what Paul is saying. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as one abnormally born. That's a word for an untimely birth. It probably just represents how Paul was kind of late to get in on all of this. He was saved on the road to Damascus when he saw Jesus. But one of the things that we see here is that it was important for the tomb not just to be empty, but for them to see Jesus with their own eyes. You see, skeptics of their day did the best they could anyways to run wild with all of the theories as to why the tomb was empty. You may hear some of these still today. There are still some today who said, well, the disciples might have just gone to the wrong tomb and that's why it was empty. Theory holds no water because guess what? The opponents of Jesus very quickly would have pointed them in the right direction and made sure they knew that he wasn't alive anymore. There are some who say, well, maybe the disciples somehow, someway broke in and stole the body of Jesus and then began to proclaim he was alive. That theory doesn't hold any water as well because the disciples weren't looking for that. In fact, they were so sure, not that they'd stolen the body and he was gone, they were so sure he had risen from the dead that they gave their lives for that claim. Some might say, well, perhaps the opponents of Jesus did something with his body so the disciples couldn't get in and steal the body, and that accounts for the empty tomb. How many of you know that if they had the body of Jesus, they would have produced the body of Jesus to make sure that they did not continue to tell the world that he had risen from the dead? 
None of those theories hold water. In fact, this morning as we gather, the only theory that holds water is what our faith is built upon, and it's built upon solid rock. And that is that the Lord Jesus Christ came from heaven. He lived a perfect life. He laid down His life for our sins on the cross. He was buried in the tomb, and on the third day, He rose from the dead. That's a good place to give the Lord a hand clap of praise. If I'm looking for one, that's it. Yeah, that's it. The disciples were not looking for the resurrection. Those things didn't make a lot of sense to them at the time. It was something they put together after the fact. In fact, um, they, they were surprised. Brother Bob read the passage this morning from the Gospels where they thought it was nonsense at first. I mean, you're... You're just not, we don't expect life to come from a place where there is death. We just, we just don't, the human mind just does not expect that to happen. There's a great example of this, as was, as was told by John Ortberg, a pastor out west and an author of many, many books, one of my favorite authors. But he tells the story about a friend of his who was a minister and he especially had a heart and a calling to do funeral services for those that didn't have a minister to do funeral services. And so he spent a whole lot of his time uh, doing funerals and at the gravesite and such. And the story goes, true story by the way, told by John Ortberg. The story goes that on one occasion, um, he, was, uh, he was out with the undertaker. And uh, they were coming back from the gravesite. He he'd, uh, rid, rode out there with him and was on the way back. And it was a long drive. It was quite a journey. And so this uh, minister uh, by the name of Randy, Randy says to the undertaker, I think I'm just going to stretch out in the back of the hearse, and I'm just going to take a nap on the way back. And so uh, minister Randy stretches out in the back of the hearse, and they make their way back. Well, unbeknownst to, uh, to Randy, uh, the undertaker stops in and fuels up, and he's getting gas at the gas station. Well, why he, while he's getting gas there at the gas station, how many of you can guess what might have happened? The attendant's out there pumping gas, and the attendant looks in and sees that there is a body laid out in that hearse. All of a sudden, with that attendant pumping gas and looking in that hearse, Minister Randy woke up from his nap, looked out the window, and started waving at the man pumping gas. How many of you want to guess where that attendant, uh, what that attendant did? What would you do? Let me. What would you do? Yeah, Randy says he's watched the Olympics every every four years. Uh, he can remember. He says he's never seen anybody in the Olympics run as fast as that gas attendant ran in that moment. We don't expect to see life where there is death and. My friend, what separates Christianity from every other religion, and I don't believe Christianity is a religion, it's about a relationship with the living God, but what separates us from every other religious claim, every other religious teacher is this, evidence. Can somebody say evidence? Evidence. Evidence that Jesus was who he said he was. One of the biggest pieces of evidence besides the empty tomb, and besides the appearances, and we'll close with this, is that lives were changed through this Jesus. 
Lives were changed through Jesus. In fact, look with me in your Bible, if you would, verses 5 through 8. Let's take a look at some of the folks here in this passage that saw Jesus. Verse 5, we see Peter. Peter on Friday night, or Friday, probably uh, overnight Thursday into Friday, is a bumbling coward. He's denying that he even knows Jesus. But about a month later, after Jesus rises and appears to his disciples over the course of 40 days, uh, Peter's proclaiming the gospel on the day of Pentecost, and he's as bold as a lion. He's been changed. James was one of that... Uh, that er, a part of that early church that was a brother to, to Christ. During the ministry of Christ, James, uh, technically a, ha- a half-brother, but during the ministry of Christ in John 7 and 5, James did not believe his brother Jesus was the Messiah. He made fun of him. They laughed at him. But James became a believer, a follower of Christ, said, My brother is my Lord, and he'd lay down his life for Jesus. We see... As we move on, uh, that Paul, the Apostle Paul, was a murderer of, of believers. But this murderer became a missionary when he came to give his life to Christ. Thomas, who would have been one of the twelve, was the one who said, I will believe it when I see it. Yeah, I'll, I'll believe it when I see it. And he saw Jesus alive from the dead. And Thomas would go on to lay down his life. And give his life for Jesus. And church history tells us that he was killed in India as a missionary for Christ. And so we see that not only was the tomb empty, we see that not only was Jesus appearing to his followers, we see that they believed it so deeply that they were willing to lay down their lives for this Savior. And the truth this morning is that the good news of Christ and His life-changing power continues to touch lives all across the world. That Jesus is alive, that He's in this place right here and right now. In fact, my life has been changed by this Jesus. How about you this morning? Anybody give testimony? Anybody give witness that your life has been changed by Jesus? I, I, I'm not the same man I used to be. I'm like the country preacher who said, One day I'll tell you what, I'm not all that I should be, and I'm not all that I'm going to be, but thanks be to God, I am not who I used to be. Jesus has changed my life. Some time ago, an atheist walked up in an open-air crusade. A church was doing an open-air crusade. And there was a man who was giving his testimony. He had been a hoodlum in the community. He had been an outlaw. He had been in trouble, been in jail, and just had a real rough past. But he gave his life to Jesus, and he had... Uh, gotten involved in church, and he was just a new man. And he was given his testimony in this open-air crusade of how Jesus had changed his life. And as he was given his testimony, an atheist walked in and began to try to disrupt the meeting. And he said, don't, don't listen to this man. This is nonsense. Hey, don't give an ear to this man. What he's saying is, is not true. 
he's dreaming. Don't listen to him. He's dreaming. All of a sudden, he felt a tug on his pants. He looked down, and there was a five-year-old little girl tugging on his pants. He had just said, this man is dreaming. And this little girl said, Mr., If he is dreaming, don't wake him up. Because that man is my daddy. And he's been so good to us since he came to know Jesus Christ as his Savior. What Jesus did for that man, Jesus can do for you. People are still encountering the risen Savior. People from every century, every continent, every culture, rich, poor, young, old, well-educated, not educated, beaten, broken, arrogant, afraid, people all over are meeting the Jesus who rose from the grave, who's changing lives. People who were addicted, who said, I met Jesus and he gave me power over addiction. People who were alone and said, I met Jesus and I have a friend now in Jesus. People who were hopeless and said, I was empty and now I have peace in Christ. People who were bitter and say, I met Jesus and now I know what it means to forgive. There are people in this place this morning, people who are not perfect, but people who have been forgiven and whose lives have been changed by Jesus. You can join that number this morning. I love you so much, I'm just going to tell you the truth this morning. There are a million choices that you'll make in life. Where are we going to go on vacation? What am I going to wear today? What flavor ice cream am I going to get? Now that's a tough one, amen somebody? There are millions of choices that we'll make in life. Eternity only has two. Will you go to heaven or will you spend eternity in hell? I've got good news for you this morning. Nobody has to go to hell because Jesus has paid the price for your sins. The only thing you got to do is say yes and open up this gift of salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you bow your head with me, close your eyes as we enter into a time of invitation this morning. God's people are praying. My guess, excuse me, my guess for most of you is that if if there is a God, you want to know Him. If the tomb is empty and Jesus is alive, you want to meet Him. You want to believe it. And if Jesus is still changing lives... You want Him to change yours. You can make that decision through a simple a prayer of faith. Jesus has paid it all, and all we have to do is accept His gift. And with heads bowed and eyes closed, this morning you can call upon the name of the Lord and have assurance that God hears you and that God, that God answers prayer. Heads bowed and eyes closed, you can say, Dear Lord... I know I'm a sinner. Jesus, I believe you died for my sins.
I believe you rose on the third day. Jesus, I'm sorry for my sins. I want to turn from them and turn to you. Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Be my Savior and be my Lord. Save me, Jesus. Come into my life and change me. Jesus, thank you that you love me. Jesus, thank you that you've saved me. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Somebody give the Lord a hand clap of praise for those that might have prayed that prayer for the first time. We enter into our time of invitation here in this moment. And this is an opportunity for you to make public what God's done in the privacy of your own heart. I will tell you this. If you get it and you get it real good. In fact, let me just say if you get it. Because when you get it, you get it real good if you'll follow the Lord. Um, you won't. Listen, if you trusted in Jesus, you won't be able to keep it silent. You'll have to tell somebody. Your life will change, and it may be that even right now you say, I cannot leave without telling somebody, I've just given my life to Christ. I feel new. I feel born again. I feel like a new person, and I just want to tell somebody. That's what the invitation time is for this morning. Maybe it's not been this morning. Maybe it's been sometime in the past. Maybe you made a decision for Christ during bow the knee or at home at some point in time recently or here in a worship service. He went publicly, took a stand for you on Calvary's cross. Now he's calling us to do the same for him. We're going to stand in just a moment when we do. I don't want you to wait. Don't delay. Don't say, I'll go after somebody else. You just be the one. You just come. As we stand and as we sing, if you got a decision to make, if you want to give your life to Christ, recommit your life, join with this church body, you need to come pray. Whatever it is, all right? Fill in the blank. You come as we stand and as we sing right now. You come if God's calling you. Don't wait on somebody else. You come. You come.